Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, God is one. In his struggle, your holy martyr Alban gained the crown of life, O Christ our God, for he strengthened you and in purity of heart, he spoke boldly before the judges of this world, offering up his head to you, the judge of all. Tonight we celebrate this parish's patron saint, Saint Alban, or Albanus, known as the proto-martyr, that is the very first martyr of Britain. Saint Alban was a Roman citizen who lived at Verulanium, and which is now named Saint Alban after him. Uh, this town is a few miles northwest of London, and he lived there during a per time of persecution in the third century. Nothing is actually known about his family or his occupation, although some accounts report that he was a Roman soldier. This is sometimes disputed, as there was another Alban who was definitely a Roman soldier, and some think that this is a conflation of his hagiography with the history of another Alban. Whatever. The earliest mention of Alban's martyrdom is believed to be in Victoria Stilade Sanctorium, in English, The Praise of Saints, written about 396 AD. Victorius had just returned from settling an unnamed dispute among the bishops of Britain. He does not mention Alban by name, but includes an unnamed martyr who, quote, in the hands of the executioners told Rivers to draw back lest he should be delayed in his haste which you will hear closely resembles the account we have of Alban's martyrdom. And many historians have reasonably concluded that this is in fact a reference to Alban, making it the earliest surviving reference to a British saint. Most of the history of St. Alban we have received today is thought to originate from a document called The Passion of St. Alban, written in the fifth century. The author was presumed to be St. Germanius of Auxerre, who, as an aside, was the Bishop of Auxerre during his life, and is most known for his journey to combat Pelagianism in Britain around 429 AD. Now, whoever the author was, he said that he was giving thanks for his victory over the heretics at a tomb or basilica built over the site of an unknown martyr's death. The author said that he received in a dream the name of St. Alban and the story of his martyrdom. This record appears to serve as the basis of the history later told by the Venerable Bede, who recorded the history of the English church around the year 730. So let's hear St. Alban's hagiography. So the chief magistrate of the city had orders to arrest all Christian clergy. One of them, a priest named Amphibolus, fled to Alban's home in order to hide from the soldiers who wished to kill him. Alban was impressed by the priest's constant prayer and vigil, and so he questioned Amphibolus about his beliefs. As a result, Alban came to believe in Christ and asked to be baptized. Eventually, Amphibolus was forced to move on, and Alban changed clothes with him so that he could get away. The soldiers heard there was a priest hiding in Alban's house, so they came to search it, and seeing Alban dressed in the priest's clothes, they arrested him and brought him before the judge. The magistrate was offering sacrifice to idols when Alban appeared before him, and after further questioning him, he discovered how Alban and the priest had switched clothes. Furious because Alban had allowed a fugitive to escape, the magistrate threatened him with death unless he returned to paganism and revealed where Amphibolus had gone. 
St. Alban replied, I am also a Christian, and I worship the true God. After having the saint beaten and tortured, the magistrate threatened him with execution. St. Alban rejoiced and glorified God. The magistrate ordered the soldiers to take St. Alban to the Holmhurst Hill to be beheaded. And when they came to the River Ver, they saw that the bridge was crowded with people who had come to witness Alban's martyrdom. Since they could not proceed because of the multitude of people, St. Alban prayed and made the sign of the cross over the river, and at once the waters parted so that they were able to cross over to the other side. The executioner was so astonished by the miracle that he threw down his sword and refused to behead the saint. He was also arrested, and another man was found to behead them both. There is a tradition that St. Alban became thirsty while climbing the hill and asked for water, and a small spring gushed forth near the top of the hill, and he was able to drink from it. Pilgrims used to come and drink from St. Alban's well, but it is now dry. The date of St. Alban's martyrdom is uncertain, but it's believed that it took place during the reign of Decius or Valerian. Uh, these are about in the 250s. The name of the executioner who was converted has not been preserved, but the priest Amphibolus was ultimately caught and put to death at a place called Redburn, about four miles from Verulanium, St. Alban's today. When people began to cry out against the magistrate, he put an end to the persecution. In later years, a cathedral was built on the site of the martyrdom, and the relics of St. Alban, the priest Amphibolus, and perhaps even the executioner were enshrined therein. St. Bede tells us that miracles frequently took place at St. Alban's tomb. And when the Danes invaded England in 860, the relics were removed for safekeeping, then later returned but they wouldn't survive the British themselves. A new chapel and shrine were built for the relics in the early 14th century, but 200 years later, during the dissolution of the monasteries under Henry VIII, the marble shrine was destroyed. And much later, the fragments of the shrine uh, were put back uh, together and um, on the form reassembled on the former site. Now, what happened to the relics is unknown. It's probable that they were destroyed or buried in an unmarked spot but the relics of St. Alban have been preserved in some other locations around the world. So for many of us who come from religious backgrounds in which the veneration of the saints plays only a small role at best or was perhaps viewed with complete disdain, you may ask why people would make such a big deal out of some bones. Why, with our modern sensibilities, would we believe this unlikely tale about the miracles of St. Alban's life and those that resulted from it? Well, first, let's be honest. Many of the histories of the saints' lives have likely taken on some embellishment over the course of history. But our modern sensibilities have also not always been those of our ancestors, and I think we shouldn't judge them for what at the time would have been viewed as honoring someone by making their story a little bigger than it really was. They also didn't view history as we do today, not in the objective way we do now. And even though we think we do it right, I will not be surprised if in the sands of time, people of the future look back on us as cold, dry, and way too objective. Nevertheless, there's no reason to doubt most or any of the story. We know that God speaks to people like um, St. Germanius in dreams. We know that the saints do not intentionally lie about the dreams that they have. That, about the content or really hopefully anything else for that matter. And we believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and well and quite capable of all sorts of miracles. And we see such miracles even in the lives of people who have lived very recently and who have been proclaimed to be saints 
by our church today. And most importantly, I believe we'll continue to see such things if we're willing to look with eyes of faith. And those bones, we believe, in the resurrection of the body will be put back together, and St. Alban and all of us will be resurrected. St. Alban's bones are holy. And the, the most important point is that we should be making our bones and every bit of our flesh and our soul be holy. Those bones are a sign of the sacrifice of Christ and a sign of the world to come. But they're not holy because of St. Alban. Rather, they're holy in the same way that we should be holy, because we submit to the will of God, thereby allowing the work of Christ to be completed in this world and allowing ourselves to be filled with and inspired by the Holy Spirit. St. Alban is holy because even though his life as a Christian was brief, he understood what it meant to be one fully, knowing that you must be willing to forsake everything to truly be a disciple of Christ, in this case willing to give up his own life. St. Alban provides us an example of how to be a follower of Christ, as all the saints do. If it's Muriel legend, and it's not, it would still be a story worthy of our close consideration. Because if we're unwilling to take part of our day to pray, unwilling to give up our lives of relative safety to provide for our neighbor's needs, unwilling to deny ourselves food and fasting, not willing to be openly Christian around our families, friends, or coworkers out of fear of losing their love, friendship, or a promotion at work, how would we be able to stand with Alban and the rest of the martyrs if we're called to do the same? By God's grace, it seems unlikely that most of us will be called to lay down our lives in the way Alban did for Christ. But unfortunately, all too often, we're unwilling to do even the smallest of things to forsake this world. So think about that. And on this occasion of the Feast of St. Alban, ponder your willingness to follow in his footsteps, willing to give up something, anything, everything, and thereby follow Christ. Find a way, no matter how small, to live your life more in accordance with the saints, with the gospel, and with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, storing up for yourselves great riches in heaven and a heart for peace and joy here on earth and in the age to come. So pray for us, St. Alvin, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.